Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of F the Office. Today we're talking to the CEO and founder of FreeUp. The cool thing about FreeUp is that they do all the hard work for you. So if you're somebody who's looking to hire a freelancer to work with your own business, they recruit, interview, and vet thousands of their applicants. And they only accept the top 1%. So you are sure when you hire somebody that you're getting the cream of the crop. In today's episode, Nathan shares with us how he got his marketplace up and running. You definitely don't want to miss this episode, particularly if you are somebody who's working in the gig economy and you're looking for some insight specifically for how marketplaces like FreeUp hire freelancers. I'm really excited to get into this month's episode, so let's go ahead and dive right in. So Nathan, thank you so much for joining us on the FC Office podcast. We're really excited to have you here. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> and the first question, as always, is what was your F the office moment? <laughs> so my parents were both teachers growing up, and I always had the mentality that I was going to grow up and get a, a real job, get good grades in college, get an internship, lead to a job, work for 40 years, retire, and I rebelled hard. <laughs> my parents, <laughs> um, they made me get 40-hour-a-week internships every summer from when I was a, a freshman in high school, maybe even before. And so while all my friends were out playing... I was inside working 40, 50 hours a week, and it was great. I got real-world experience, but I hated every second of it, and I was just washing the clock every day. I couldn't wait to go home, and that's when I knew that if I didn't figure out a way to start my own business, I was going to get sucked into that. It was like, a, hey, this is what real life is, and I need to find a way to avoid it. So that, that was my moment, those, those internships that I couldn't wait to leave. That's amazing, especially that they made you work so diligently when you were so young. So I love that right away. You were like, this is not for me. Exactly. Uh, okay, so tell us a little more. So you've done all these internships. You know this isn't the path you want to take. You go to university. Where do you go from there? What was your thought process? Yeah, so I, when I got to college, I, I kind of looked at it as a ticking clock. If I didn't figure out how to start a business within four years, I was going to get bills and I was going to have to get a job. And then once I got, it went down that path, there was no going back. So when I got to college, I started hustling. I noticed the school bookstore was ripping me off. I created my own textbook business using that money that I had made from the summer internships. I created a little referral program. And before I knew it, I had lines out the door of people trying to sell me their books to the point where I actually got a cease and desist letter from my college telling me to knock it off uh, because I was taking so much of their business. So that was my first glimpse into being an entrepreneur. And this was back in 2008. So Amazon was just becoming more than a bookstore. Mm -hmm. I learned a little bit about Amazon from selling and trading these books. And I thought it was so cool that I could create this 24-7 store that I could just find products and list them and see if they sold. And I just had to figure out what products to sell because I couldn't sell books forever. I was going to graduate. I, I thought we'd all be using Kindles by now anyway. So I didn't look at it as a long-term um, plan. And I started experimenting and I tried every product that I, all the products that I actually use. So sporting equipment, computers, video games, classic college guy stuff. Mm -hmm. And I just failed over and over and over. And the only thing that I could get to sell were these books. And it wasn't until I did some experimenting and branched out of my comfort zone that I found the baby product industry that my business really took off. So imagine me as a 20 year old single college guy selling millions of dollars worth of baby products out of my college dorm room. That was me. That's incredible. That's incredible. It's also very cool to hear that you, so you had this right off the bat, amazing success and you had a series of failures and you kept going. It's a true sign of an entrepreneur right there. 
Yeah, I saw some infographic on um, Instagram and it was like what people see and it was like the top of the iceberg and it was like everything they don't see and it was everything below and it was all, <laughs> all the problems and the failures and everything that an entrepreneur goes through. That's incredible. <laughs> I'm really loving, by the way, this mental image of you, like you said, 20 year old guy selling baby products out of your dorm room. <laughs> yeah, people thought I was crazy and no one really knew what Amazon was. There were no courses. There were no gurus out there. People didn't think it was a real job. People thought I was running some scam. I mean, it, you, it was really hard to explain to people, hey, I'm an Amazon seller selling baby products. So at that point, did you think that that was going to be your long-term career? Is that what you had your sights set on? So I might be the most short-term thinker you'll ever meet. I am never focused on the long-term because I'm a very logical person and I always know that, that things just change. I mean, if you had asked me five years ago if I would be starting a marketplace for freelancers, I wouldn't have believed you. And if you had asked me two years before my baby product business, if I'd be selling baby products on Amazon, I wouldn't have believed you. So I'm much more in the, hey, focus on what I can accomplish today, this week to take the business to the next level. And adjust to everything that comes up. So as I was going through it, I thought it was cool. I was learning a lot. I was making money. I was trying to grow this business, but I wasn't really focused on where I'd be in 20 years. That's actually really refreshing to hear because all too often with entrepreneurship, we hear people say, stay the course, consistency is best. You have to keep going. But I do feel like if you know you're headed towards failure or if you're unable to adjust to the marketplace, you know, it's a recipe for disaster. So that's really cool. Yeah, and my business partner, Connor, is the exact opposite. He's always planning for the future. So we complement each other well. But I remember when we, when we were first working together, we would drive each other crazy because he would be talking about five years down the line and what our goals. And I'm like, hey, man, we have stuff to do today. Like, can we talk about that? I'm trying to get this stuff done now. And I think from working together and building this relationship, I now look a little bit more in advance, three months, six months, and he's no longer looking five years ahead. He's saying, okay, quarter and, and end of the year and stuff like that. Perfect relationship. Perfect partnership. That's amazing. Okay. So I'm really curious to see then how you made the jump. So you had a profitable business from your dorm room, which is amazing. When I was in college, I could barely get myself out of bed for my classes. And here you are running a multi-million dollar business. What did your peers think about it? Did they come to you asking for jobs? Um, some of them and, and I hired people and I had some great hires. I mean, Connor was this kid in my business law class who sent me a message one day looking for a job. I hired him without an interview and he was one of the <laughs> best hires I've ever made. And, and other, and so I'm there thinking, wow, hiring is easy. You post a job or someone messages <laughs> you and you hire them and it works out great. And I proceed to make bad hire after bad hire. And I definitely ruined some friendships. I definitely um, hired people that I sh should not have hired that weren't taking it seriously and, and thought they could just make a, a quick buck and have an easy job. But it, it's all kind of lessons that you go through. And I think one, one of the biggest lessons I learned is not to hire college kids for important positions. It just didn't work long term. Every once in a while, you find someone good. But I wasted a lot of time and energy and turnover. But at the same time, no 30-year-old wanted to work for me. No one was taking me seriously as a 21-year-old entrepreneur. So I was kind of stuck. And that's why I moved to the remote hiring world, the Upworks, the Fivers, finding freelancers and virtual assistants, giving me access to people outside of my college town that could actually help my business. And that's really how I got, how I went down that path. Yes, that's fantastic. Well, I was wondering where that jump came from. So, um, so, okay, so now at this point in your career, you're interested in remote work. 
uh, you're hiring some great people. Tell us a little bit more about how you made that jump into creating your own freelance marketplace. Yeah, so with the Amazon business, the first few years doubling every year, created a big business. um, And at the same time, all of a sudden the courses and the gurus come out and more competition. So business is moving along, but we're not doubling anymore. We're not really expanding. We're kind of staying the course. In addition, although I was good at selling baby products, not that passionate about selling baby (laughs) products. So I, all of a sudden I didn't see myself doing this very longer. It wasn't fun to go to work anymore, but I really enjoyed working with people and, and hiring people. And I created this really good hiring process just from years of good hires and bad hires and, and tweaking the system. And, talking to other Amazon sellers, other people in the e-commerce community, I realized they had the same issue I had. At the end of the day, we could get the talent, but it just took forever and we didn't want to wait three weeks to find someone. So I had the idea to create my own marketplace and I kind of did that on the side to start and people liked it and the freelancer liked it because we were bringing clients to them and that started growing rapidly. Um, We did a million dollars in the first year. Last year, we did about five million. Um, and so that really started to take off and with the Amazon business and Amazon changing stuff for me personally, it made a lot of sense to focus on free up and growing my brand and seeing how far I could push that. Um, and so actually I ran my Amazon business through the end of last year and then Connor and I decided to focus on this while our other business partner, um, stayed with the Amazon business. So that's kind of how that transition happened in the short version. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the gig economy is booming right now, and I look at it as a great opportunity to change it in its early stages and really help a lot of business owners. Oh, I love that. Well, I love that your jump was totally organic, and it made sense in everything that you've been growing for years. Just It made sense that you'd bring this skill set to free up. But I really love that you said like you feel like you're on the ground floor changing it, because it is. The gig economy is only going to get bigger and bigger as time goes on. Exactly. There's no going back. And if you're a business owner out there and you're not taking advantage of the gig economy, you're really missing out. Yeah. Preach. I, as, as a person who also works in the gig economy, I could not agree more. <laughs> so, um, so for all of those who are not familiar with FreeUp at this point, uh, tell us a little more about what it is that you provide. And then I really want to dig into your hiring process. Cause I think that's the most interesting key. I know you guys hire like the 1% of the 1%. So you've got some really top talent. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole thing that I did is I, I used all the other marketplaces. I, I tried to take the things I like and, and tweak what I didn't like. So what we do is we get thousands of applicants every week, freelancers from all over the world. We vet them for not only skill, but attitude and communication as well. Oh. We take the top 1%, let them in. And then our clients get fast access to them whenever they need them. It's free to sign up. There's no monthly fee, no minimums, no obligation. You can stop using us at any time. You put in a request. We fill it within a business day. You can meet with them, see if you like them. And then kind of like Tinder, you can click hire or click pass. And if you click pass, you provide us feedback and we get you someone else based on that feedback. Then on the back end, I'm very customer service focused. My calendar is right on the website. I have a team of people that monitors my Skypes, my emails live chat on the site 24 seven. So if you have even the smallest issue or smallest need, they're always there to help very rapidly or instantly. Um, And then on the back end of that, I know how frustrating it is to find someone you like and have them quit on you. So it is real life. There's nothing I can do to make it 0%, although it rarely happens with us. But if they do quit, we cover all replacement costs and get you a new person right away. So that's really what we're all about. The pre-vetting, the speed, the customer service, and the protection. What an incredible business model. 
I definitely see a lot of room for growth. And like you said, and congrats, you're doing 5 million in revenue in just a few short years. That's incredible. It's been fun. I mean, we're humbled by the response that we've gotten. I mean, none of this works if the freelancers aren't happy in the marketplace and in our community and they like it and they support us. And same thing for the clients. I mean, if the clients didn't find value of it and keep coming back, we're nothing. So we try to do everything we can every day to continue improving and helping both sides. And if the clients are happy and the freelancers are happy, at the end of the day, we're happy. That's amazing. And actually, I'd love to dig a little deeper and hear a little bit more about your, your vetting process, because I think that's something that's so key. Like you said, there's no shortage nowadays of finding people online. Like the bodies are there. So yeah. how do you guys find the really great talent? Yeah, so I mentioned skill, attitude, and communication. So we'll start with skill. Skill, we don't care if someone's a 10 out of 10, a 6 out of 10, a 3 out of 10 in terms of skill. Uh, mm -hmm. But what we care about is that they're honest about what they can and cannot do. And that they only take projects that they can do at a high level. We're not mm -hmm. a marketplace to experiment on the clients. So with that, we have skill tests. If they're a graphic designer, we look at their portfolio. If they're an Amazon expert, we have Amazon questions. If they're a developer, we have dev tests that we've purchased. So we've slowly been creating these tests that capture people's skill and we only let people onto the platform that are priced accordingly and that are honest about their skill set from the beginning. Mm -hmm. In terms of attitude, we do one-on-one -on -one interviews. We look for people who are passionate about what they do. If, if I hate bookkeeping as an entrepreneur, and I'm sure you don't like bookkeeping either, no one does. No one does. <laughs> but if I hire a bookkeeper, they need to love bookkeeping as much as I love being an entrepreneur. Those are the type of people that we look for people who aren't just in it for the paycheck, people who want to be part of our community, that want to take care of clients, and that don't get aggressive the second that something doesn't go their way because mm. things happen in life. So we do one-on-one -on -one interviews for those. And then lastly is communication. And I don't care what your attitude is or what your skill set is. If you and I can't communicate at a high level, it's not going to work out. So we have 15 pages of communication best practices um, that I actually wrote myself based on my own hiring experiences and communication experiences that the freelancers have to memorize and get tested on before they get on the platform. And once they're in, we hold them to all of that. If they take projects that they can't do, um, they get removed. If they have a bad attitude, they get removed. If they don't communicate at a high level or clients report communication issues, they don't get more clients from us. So th that's really the process that, that we put people through. That's an incredible process. You guys sound like the jack of all trades, but also you have such a fine tune. It's totally refined system. And it's no wonder that your freelancers are so happy. And same with your clients. Yeah, I mean, one thing I'll say is we love feedback and we encourage it and we create a culture where feedback, it's, I wouldn't say mandatory because nothing's mandatory, but people mm -hmm. feel like they should give feedback at all times because we're going to listen to it and adjust it. And that doesn't mean that we can implement everything instantly, but we do listen to it and we do try to change And Every single thing that we've done is based on adjusting from past experience or what people are telling us, whether it's our software, our processes, our email templates, our hiring steps, every single part of it. It's not, this is the way it is because Nate said so. It's, this is what <laughs> we've come up with so far working together and let's continue to improve it. You know, I think that's so key for so many companies uh, who are going remote are these feedback loops. And it's something that I don't really hear a lot of people talk about in depth. So that's very cool to hear you touch upon that. Yeah, feedback and is so important. It's yeah, it's especially virtually because you have this kind of huge gap to overcome. 
And I mean, even the best freelancers in the world, not only are they not a, the best fit for every single client in the world, but they have lots of different clients and every client has different expectations, different, um, different ways that constitute success or failure. So if you're not constantly doing that feedback loop, there's going to be a lot of struggles along the way. Yes. Yes. God, yes. I haven't experienced that in my own life, as you said, with lots of different clients and kind of curious here. Um, now that we're touching upon like things that we wish people had told us before, like feedback loops, very curious, what would you change? What would you have changed, if anything, when you first started your entrepreneurial journey in your college dorm room? What do you wish somebody had told you getting started? <laughs> so back when I had an internship, I had this manager who was really good numbers wise. He, he made a lot of money for the company. He made bonuses himself. But he was the type of manager that was over your shoulder at all times. If oh. you messed up even the smallest way, he'd call you into the back office. If it was his day off, he would call in every hour. He, he stressed you out at all times. That's so stressful. Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, that was my only real manager. He's a manager I worked under the longest. I've never had a real job. So when I started having to manage other people and not just being a sole entrepreneur anymore, I found myself going into those tendencies because it's the only way that I knew how to manage a company. And it wasn't until I hired Connor and Connor started giving me feedback on how to not just be a manager, but be a leader and, and get away from those tendencies. Oh. I started to adjust and change and, and good things happen when I change. Our turnover went down. Our culture was better. People were more productive and less stressed out. And I, I feel like I still have those tendencies embedded in me because I worked <laughs> under him for so long. Um, but I constantly get reminders and kind of be like, hey, you're turning into old Nate again or, or whatever. Um, but I think that's the thing that I, I would have changed right from the beginning. That's huge. That's huge to hear. And really great that, like you said, you're taking your own feedback into, into consideration. Curious too. So it's you and your business partner. Um, I can imagine that you guys are slammed. You're running your own marketplace. How do you handle, and this is something that a lot of our audience struggles with too. How do you handle entrepreneurship and your own personal life. Do you have a personal life? <laughs> I do have a personal life. I have a dog that's around here somewhere. Um, I have a, a girlfriend that I live with. I, I have a condo in Orlando, Florida. Um, I mean, it's a balance. Like the first year of starting a business is a lot of work. Um, and I think a lot of people diving into being an entrepreneur don't understand that. I mean, that first year is make or break. You're figuring everything out. And there are times that you need to suck it up and work on a Saturday night. But I think as you get deeper along the entrepreneurial path, you do realize that the balance is important and you can't work 24 seven. And it's important that you work with someone like my partner, Connor, who's encouraging you to take time off. Hey man, you, you crushed this week. Like, like go get away. Like I'll, I'll cover for you. I got everything under control. And obviously having an amazing team of virtual assistants that I can trust to cover weekends and cover nights. And so if I need to sleep in an hour or Last Saturday, I went to the water park for the day. I'm not constantly checking my phone. So it, it takes a lot of work and some tweaking. And the only way to do it is to surround yourself with great people and supportive people. I mean, I can't thank my, my girlfriend enough. There were times during busy season where I was working all-nighters. And I would pull 10 all-nighters during the month of October, November, December, when people were spending more time with their family. And I'm out there working more. So you, you obviously need a great support system around you. Yeah, that's brutal. But I do like what you're saying about having a nice support system and a system that will encourage you to take some time off, which is even something that I struggle with myself still. Definitely. I, and I mean, part of the issue is it's fun. I mean, I enjoy it. If I didn't enjoy it, then I wouldn't be working all the time. So sometimes you do need to just 
take a break and refresh your brain and you're better for it. That is so true. And so tell us, so you work with people remotely. How do you work with your partner? Are you guys in an office together? Does he live in a different city? No office. So we lived in Orlando, Florida together for a while and he actually moved out to Denver. So we're not even in the same state. Um, we communicate via Skype, phone calls. Um, we see each other at least once a quarter. Gives me an excuse to go out to Denver. <laughs> I love Colorado. <laughs> yes, um, yes, me too. But yeah, I mean, I had an office for a little while and it was one of the worst business decisions I ever made. I, I added overhead to a business that didn't require overhead. Once I brought all these remote people together, it actually led to more drama and less productivity. And so I, I also felt like I created a nine to five job for myself that I didn't have before. So I love the remote lifestyle and I have no plans of changing that. I absolutely love that. And just curious, where do you prefer to work from or do you switch up your locations? <laughs> Um, so Connor will go to coffee shops and different places like that. I like to work from home. Um, I think I have a dog that I really like hanging out with and there's a dog park right outside so I can take phone calls there. And I mean, I have an office in the condo, which I'm in right now. And then um, I have different chairs throughout and um, I, I travel a lot too. So I'm going to conferences or, or Denver. So I, I feel like I, I don't switch it up as much as like leaving the house every day, but I get enough where I'm not just in the same room five days a week. Yeah, love it. I actually love what you said about your dog. We have a dog too. And I often tell other freelancers, like, you have a pet, use them to your advantage. Go out with them. <laughs> He's the most spoiled dog in the world. He's never alone. Oh, God, it's so true. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> well, uh, Nathan, tell us a little more about where we can find you online. Yeah, so if you go to freeup.com with three E's, if you're a client, you can book a free meeting with me. My calendar's at the top. I'd love to talk to you about your business and how I can help. If you're a freelancer, you can submit an application right on the site to join the network. Um, and if you're a client, you can also create a free account. Mention this podcast, get a $25 credit to try us out. And me and my team are, are there to help. Awesome. That's fantastic. All right. Well, we can't wait to check it out. Thank you so much for talking with us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode where we talked to Nathan Hirsch of FreeUp. It's always refreshing to hear about the things that companies look for in remote hires. So again, if that's you, I hope you found a lot of value in this episode and I hope you keep it in mind while you're applying for remote jobs in the future. Thank you guys so much again for tuning in. And if you want to hear more great interviews like this, check out ftheoffice.com and we'll see you on the next one.